Chapter 58. Tears poured down Dylan's face. He dashed them away angrily with the back of his hand, flapping his wings powerfully and putting as much distance between himself and them as he could. He'd been in a tree a good half mile from them, not spying, just seeing. Seeing his past go up in flames, his future crumbling into dust. He wasn't about to stick around to watch Max and Fang finally have their little private reunion party. He thought what he and Max had was starting to grow into something... real. She'd let him sleep in her room, and that night in the treehouse. He remembered the feel of Max's skin under his fingertips, her wildly tangled hair brushing against his cheek. The look she gave him just before their lips met. He could live and die inside that single look. Dylan shook his head, flapped his wings harder, faster. He took the next turn too tightly and lost control dropping hundreds of feet before he could level himself. He saw the forest ahead, tall trees growing thickly together. He narrowed his eyes and dove down. He wove crazily in and out of the trees, at top speed. He scared birds, startled a group of deer, and still, he went as fast as possible, so fast that the wind would dry his tears. Again and again, he flipped sideways to fit through narrow openings, his sneakers smacked against tree trunks. Bark raked the skin on his hands and feet raw. Branches caught at his feathers, and he felt some get yanked out, but he didn't even wince. It felt good. The pain. He wanted more. All this time, he'd tried to be good. He'd followed the rules, or at least the rules Max had set. He'd learned to fly and to fight, had followed her lead. He'd given her space, and then pressed a little closer when she seemed to want it. He'd done everything he was supposed to, when he was supposed to. He had thought if he could just be perfect, Max would love him. But she loved Fang instead. Fang, who seemed to break every rule in the book. Dylan set his jaw. Fine, he thought. She wants a bad boy like Fang. I can do that. Bam! He brought his feet down, hard, on the roof of a car that was driving toward town, making a huge dent. Bam! 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 Three more cars suffered the same fate. Dylan felt a rush of thrill and fear. This was the best he felt since Fang had come back. On the next car, Dylan dropped down even lower. Snap! One quick kick took the side mirror right off. Crash! A rear windshield smashed to smithereens. It was an incredible feeling of power. A power he'd never felt before. He rose and banked sideways dramatically, hearing car horns honking, people shouting. He wheeled around the store in the corner, then swooped down and grabbed the store's banner in one hand, ripping it from where it had hung across the sidewalk. It landed on a car driving underneath it, causing the driver to lose control and crash into a telephone pole. But Dylan was already halfway down the street, ripping street signs from their post and hurling them like frisbees. People were yelling at him now, 
A baseball whizzed past his head. He could hear sirens behind him. Over and over, he dropped down suddenly, kicked over a mailbox, a trash can, a trellis. But the pain in his chest was returning. He reached up and ripped the electrical wires strung across the street from their poles. Sparks shot everywhere as the live wires fell to the ground, igniting the bulging trash bags that lined the curb. At last, Dylan realized he was weeping again. He could hardly see. What was happening to him? Nothing was making sense. Least of all, his behavior. He rose gracefully, powerfully into the air, leaving behind a roiling fire that was beginning to streak through a destroyed neighborhood. This isn't the answer, Dylan, said his voice. You know what your job is. You know what you have to do. As if he could shake the voice loose, make it go away forever. A thought flitted through his brain like the light fingers of a practice thief. He turned around slowly and tasted bile in his throat. No, he couldn't. Could he? It was the answer to so many of his problems. What he couldn't do was what the science teacher had demanded on that awful day at the lab at the school. He couldn't turn Fang over for the white coats to experiment on, no matter how much he hated him at that moment. He would never condemn anyone to such a fate. But if he didn't turn Fang in, someone else would. And if what Dr. Williams had said was true, they would hurt, possibly kill, Max as a result. He couldn't let that happen. Dylan's mind spun. Maybe this awful thought. Maybe this was the right thing to do, in the end. It would spare Fang from a horrible life of tests and scalpels and torture. It would save Max's life. She would be grateful. Maybe she'd even come to love him for it. Someday. Dylan swallowed. The voice was right. He did know what he had to do. He had known all along. He had to kill Fang. Chapter 59 Oh my god, it's Dylan. My head swiveled sharply at Gazzy's words, and I practically ran to where he sat on the couch. He was pointing at the TV screen. What? Oh my god, I demanded. What Dylan? He's... he's... gone wacko, said Gazzy. I turned my attention to the news broadcast, which was showing a grainy, shaky cell phone video of a bird kid rampaging through town. My mouth dropped open as I saw Dylan, and he was totally, prosecutably recognizable as Dylan, smashing windows, ripping down signs, kicking cars, knocking over mailboxes. It doesn't seem like him at all, said Gazzy. He's always so laid back. Maybe it's like a clone or something, he offered. No. I murmured, anxiously watching the screen. No, I think it's really him. But why was he on this insane destructive streak? What had happened since the last time I saw him? I tried to think when that was. He'd been with me all day, right up until... Oh. Suddenly, it all became horribly clear, and my stomach clenched. Dylan had been near the door when I'd gone outside to be alone. He must have seen Fang follow me which meant he'd seen Fang and me fly off, out of the earshot of the house. What else had he seen? This is all my fault, I muttered, grabbing my jacket. I'm gonna go find him. Before Gazzy could say anything, I'd leapt off our balcony and was streaking toward town. Chapter 60 I was at the edge of the town before I realized that I had no idea what I was going to say to Dylan when I found him. 
Dylan had had my back when I didn't really have anyone else, and he was the last person in the world I wanted to hurt. He was... well, he was a great guy, and I knew exactly how much he cared about me. He'd worn his heart on his wing, and he deserved honesty from me in return. But what could I say to him? What could I offer him? What could I promise? How could I know what to say when I hardly even knew what to feel these days? God help me. I kept myself high enough in the sky so that people wouldn't necessarily spot me right away. But I could still see everything, and I almost skidded to a halt when I saw firsthand the damage Dylan had done. The town was in chaos. It looked like a tornado had streaked through, wrecking everything in its path. The redented cars stopped on Main Street, store owners talking angrily to police, people sweeping up glass and reattaching signs. It was like Dylan had woken up today and decided to play Godzilla. I let out a slow breath, understanding the implication. The measure of damage that Dylan had caused was probably about equal to the amount of pain he might be in right now. Because of me. Hard in my throat, I kept scanning the streets, but what I didn't see was Dylan. I went high, way high, to give myself a broader view, but saw not a feather. I scanned treetops, the roofs of buildings, other places suitable for hiding out and seething, but he had disappeared. And when he came back, if he came back, how would things be then? Would he still be the sweet, vulnerable Dylan I had begrudgingly come to rely on? To even like? To more than like. I couldn't admit to myself just what that feeling was, but it was something that had started to work its way deep inside me. I'd been trying for so long to ignore his adoring looks, to distance myself and push him away. So, if I'd finally succeeded, why did it hurt so much? Chapter 61 He's home. That was my first thought when I was rudely jolted out of a restless sleep that night. For the second time in just a couple weeks, Iggy's alarm system was sending wails and automated warning messages through the house in the middle of the night. Be angry, I told myself as I bolted from my bed. He shouldn't have taken off like that. Shouldn't have caused all that damage. You're furious. But I couldn't stop the feelings of relief and elation that swelled through me as I headed for the door. What is it? Who's attacking us? Gezi yelled from his room. Should I bring the bombs? Max? Angel whimpered, stumbling out of my way sleepily as I rounded the corner and ran down the hall. It's okay, Angel. Everything's fine. Don't worry, guys. I yelled over my shoulder as I started to unbolt the locks. Iggy, cut the alarm. It's just dil- I breathlessly threw open the door. I breathlessly threw open the door, and a sea of glowing red eyes peered at me out of the frigid darkness. Behind me, Nudge sucked in a breath. There were a lot of eyes, and they were feral, bloodthirsty. Erasers. I swallowed, my words dying on my lips. Of course, I muttered, trying not to show how overwhelmed I was by the sheer numbers, how unprepared I'd just been caught. I had opened the door to these mongrels, without any weapon or plan. I had practically invited them in. I cleared my throat and stepped right out onto the porch. I could hear breathing and shuffling in the darkness, animal sounds that sent chills down my spine. You'd think I'd be used to it by now. So, I said loudly, is there a specific reason you flea-bitten wolves are attacking, or is it just my lucky day? Just your lucky day, sis. I knew that voice. 
bitter, deep, like a bunch of rocks being rattled in a can. Ari. The crowd of erasers parted so he could walk through, and he stopped just ten feet from the bottom of the stairs. My stomach turned somersaults. Somehow, he looked even bigger and wolfier. Maybe he had been enhanced some more. This is the end, Max, Ari said, stepping to the beam of the porch light and showing his yellow fangs. I promise. I stopped believing your promises a long time ago, I said. I felt just a tiny bit sad, remembering the cute kid he had once been. My half-brother. The erasers were moving forward now, ever so slowly. Every single one of them was staring fixedly in the same direction, at the same person. And it wasn't me. We're here for you, Fang, Ari said, looking to the hallway behind me and grinning toothily as he cracked his meaty, hairy knuckles. We're here to kill you. And trust me, this is one fight you bird kids can't win. Fang came out to stand beside me, his fists clenched, his face tight with anger. I wouldn't bet on that. Your funeral, Ari said, shrugging. He held up one hairy fist, ready to give the signal to his army. I tensed, settling my weight as I prepared to leap off the porch. I didn't know if these erasers could fly, but regardless... I was not going to start this fight on my feet. I was ready. I'd been ready for this for a long time. And my plan was to ignore any and all pain until every eraser was gone. But, you know, things can always, always take a turn for the worse. Just say the word, Dad. Ari called out. So, there you go. Chapter 62 Out of the shadows stepped the one, the only, the despicable Jeb. And get this, he was actually wearing a white lab coat. And a small frown. Wait, Ari, Jeb said firmly. I need to explain things first. For a moment, I thought Ari was going to ignore the command and just attack us anyway. That was what he would have done just a few months earlier. He hated and resented Jeb as much as he did us. But after a moment's hesitation, he nodded and slowly lowered his fist, though he never took his rabid eyes from Fang's face. Jeb moved closer to the porch. I kept my face expressionless, staying in battle mode. My muscles were coiled, my heart was pumping, and every sense was hyper-alert. I knew that my flock, even Angel, who was still so fragile, was ready, just like I trained him to be, just like Jeb had trained me. Max, Fang... Jeb said, sounding urgent. I need you to understand. Behind him, Ari shifted, and all of the red eraser eyes in the darkness shifted along with him. They were muttering now, and I heard twigs snapping as they moved around impatiently. I had no idea how long Ari or Jeb could keep them in check. Save it, I said, crossing my arms over my chest. We don't need to listen to any more of your lies. No, but you do need to know the truth, Max. The truth about why Fang must die. I laughed coldly. <laughs> that sounds like something we absolutely don't need to hear, I replied. That sounds totally irrelevant, actually. Because Fang isn't going to die. You may have created us, Jeb, but you do not get to decide when we die. The only expiration date that's approaching is yours, the second you try to get any closer to him. I saw the rest of the flock out of the corner of my eye, 
moving to stand next to me on the porch in support. Iggy stepped protectively in front of Fang and crossed his arms. Max, you don't understand. Jeb looked up at me. I don't want Fang to die any more than you do. But he needs to. If the Earth is going to survive, Fang must die. Fang stepped forward from the shadows and let out a long breath. <sighs> Go on, he said, watching Jeb steadily. I reached out and took his hand, holding it tight. When you were in Dr. Gunther Hagen's lab, began Jeb, he took samples of your tissue, did all sorts of tests on you, on your skin and muscles and organs. And eventually, he made an amazing discovery. Fang, your DNA is indestructible. Infinitely regenerative. We all heal quickly, I ground out. No, Max, sweetie. Jeb shook his head slowly, ignoring the look on my face at the word, sweetie. Fang is different. His DNA holds science key to immortality. Okay, I did not see that one coming. Chapter 63 I'm so sorry, Jeb said sincerely. But now you understand why Fang must be eliminated. I scowled at him. No, actually, I can't say I do. If my DNA is so special, wouldn't that make me useful to keep alive? Fang asked Riley. For science? Yes, Jeb agreed. And that's exactly why Hans wants you alive. For that very reason. He intends to lock you up in his lab and put you in a permanent vegetative state. You understand what that means, don't you? You would just be a body, unable to move, think, eat, talk. A body that Hans intends to perform live experiments on forever. I stared at Jeb in shock. Imagining Fang like that made me want to throw up. Jeb paused, looking positively misty-eyed. I myself would end your life right now, to save you from that endless nightmare. I created you, Fang. I could never let you endure that. He wouldn't have to endure anything, I said briskly, my mind racing. We'd protect him. And if you loved us, you would too. Take him somewhere safe. Somewhere Dr. Hans would never find him. We're good at running from idiots. As you well know, Jeb. Jeb coughed and looked at the ground. When he looked back at me, his eyes were pleading, but apologetic. It's not just Dr. Hans, Max. News travels fast in the world of science. Believe me, if I know the discovery, many others do as well. And for something of this magnitude... They would come looking, more and more. You couldn't protect Fang forever. His lips curled into a sad smile. And I'm afraid that's how long you'd need to. What happens when you die, Maximum? Have you ever considered that? Who will protect Fang then? I clenched my fist, but didn't answer. My mouth was dry, and I felt empty and hollow. I can take care of myself, Fang muttered. Especially if I'm immortal. Jeb shook his head sadly. I'm afraid that you're not a mortal, Fang. We've determined that your DNA holds the secret to the pursuit of immortality. There's a difference. You're a critical link to the next step in human evolution. He cleared his throat. But this is not just about you, kiddo. This is bigger. This is about saving the whole world. Jeb looked at me. It's what you've been preparing for all this time, Max. 
Wait, what? Fang and I said at the same time. My mind reeled as I tried to get a handle on the scenario. Ari and the erasers were having a harder time than I was. They were clearly bored out of their pea-sized minds and were visibly salivating, shivering with anticipation as they waited anxiously to tear into Fang. Behind me, Nudge, Iggy, Gazzy, and Angel shifted their feet and unfurled their wings in case things got ugly in a hurry. It looked like they might. Jeb went on. Immortality might sound like a good thing, but as soon as it can be genetically engineered, we'll have a disaster on our hands. If people live forever, their numbers will increase exponentially, like a cancer metastasizing across the earth. Jeb said earnestly, This is why I truly believe in the 99% plan. The planet only has a chance if we take people out of the equation. Oh, come on, I scoffed, but Jeb was looking at Ari, who was moving toward his army of erasers. It's okay, Fang said to me, trying to look reassuring. They can't hurt me. I already cheated death once. I was pretty much resurrected after I was thrown from the cliff. Lose your god complex, my friend, Ari sneered. When we get through with you, there won't be anything left to resurrect. I created you, Fang. I created a, well, a monster, Jeb said. And now it's my duty to destroy you before Dr. Hans and those like him can torture you forever, before your DNA can destroy our planet. I'm so sorry, Fang. He nodded at Ari. Take him out. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Bootleg audiobook podcast. Fang, I am your little Mark, and we got a couple messages from the Q&A thing on Spotify. The first one is from Emily, who said, your least favorite Maximum Ride character? That is a tough one. Um, honestly, I'm kind of torn between Jeb and Dylan. And maybe Angel also? <laughs> I have reasons for all these. Bear with me for a second. Jeb is an incredibly frustrating character to me. I don't like how he constantly waffles back and forth between oh, I'm an evil scientist because I work at this lab, and then, oh, wait, no, I'm actually good because I'm spending, I'm kidnapping these kids and taking them away from this, like, horrible torturer. But, oh, no, I disappeared, and now I work with the bad guys again. But, oh, no, now I'm working with the good guys. And then, oh, no, I've been brainwashed by the bad guys. And then, oh, no, I'm no longer brainwashed, but I'm still a bad guy. It's very, very frustrating, in my opinion. And it feels like just a very bad writing choice. I think it also had to do with the series being extended so much longer than its lifespan was supposed to be. Because in the first three books, Jeb is good because he takes the kids away from the school and then he's bad because he's working with the school. But then, wait, he's actually good. This is fine. And then he starts waffling a lot in the later books. So I feel, ah, it was just, it's frustrating. Uh, Dylan, I don't love Dylan. He's- I understand he's only been alive for, like, two years. They should have given that boy a therapist. Like, it's not- it's kind of not his fault, but it kind of is his fault. Like, he- like, in this latest chapter, he got mad that Max was, you know, hanging out with Fang and, like, you know, rekindling what she had with him, and he's mad about it, so he destroys an entire town about it? I don't know. I want to like Dylan. I- one of my friends really does not like Dylan as a character, and I was rereading uh, the first part of Fang, and I was like, 
I forgot why they hate him so much. Like, he he's, like, kind of sweet, kind of nice. And then it goes on like this where he's just, he's competing with Fang. I forgot that they turned it into a love triangle for some reason. If he had just been another guy that just got to hang out with the flock, I think he would have been a great character. But they had to turn it into a love triangle because this was a YA book in the mid-2010s. I wish he'd gotten a better character arc because they never really ever touch on the fact that he's a clone. Like, he's a clone of a guy that died in a car crash. And he never really has a moment of like, oh god, like, I'm kind of taking over this guy's life now. Like, he's dead. And so now I have to be him, or do I get to be my own person? I was made specifically to, like, court Max and, like, carry on the bird kid race. But, like, do I have to? That's what I was made to do. Do I have to do that? He just could- he could have been such a cool character! Especially if he and Maya had gotten to interact, like, my top three woulda, coulda, shoulda moments in this series. I would have loved for- Dylan and Maya to have like a really deep conversation about the fact that they're both clones and that Maya's clone is alive and Dylan's clone isn't. Or they're originals, not clones. You guys get me. Could have been very interesting. Okay, Angel. Angel is a very frustrating character in the same way that Jeb is, where she's constantly trying to get Max to relinquish power of the flock to her. And she doesn't really seem to have a plan beyond that. Which I know she's six. Well, seven now. But the series loves to play her as a mix between, like, a very young child and somebody wise beyond their years. And they don't really like to be consistent about it. Like, she'll kind of, like, throw a temper tantrum and then she'll be like, Yes, Max, I've seen the end of the world and it's coming soon. We need to do all this preparation for it. And then she kind of goes back to having a kid fit. I don't know. Pick a lane. (laughs) Uh, Not that I spend a lot of time around kids. I don't... I feel like you might be able to brush it off as, like, a kid kind of having to grow up too fast and kind of having a very traumatic childhood. I don't know. There's a lot going on with her. And I feel like if they'd put a little bit less focus on Angel and a little more focus on, like, Gazzy or Nudge or Iggy, it might have been different. Not sure. She's, like, my most favorite of the least characters. I don't know. She's- the way she acts sometimes is very frustrating as a reader. Especially during that entire book where she was like, oh, we're gonna go Hollywood, screw Max and Fang, they can do whatever they want. We're gonna- we're gonna go public with this stuff. And again, a part of that was, she's a child, so- it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty and all that. No spoilers, but um, she is also very, very annoying in uh, the spinoff series with Hawk. She's. Ooh, we'll we'll talk about her in a in about a year. Brace yourselves. <laughs> but yeah, that is my opinions on some maximum right characters. Thank you for letting me rant about that, Emily. I have many opinions. Alright, the next one is from Axolotl, who said, Uh, who TF is Mark? And I just got my hermit crab a friend. Her name is Snail. They're getting along so well. Well, I'm very happy about your hermit crabs. They're very cute. A little bit creepy. I don't think I'd ever own one, but I'm happy your hermit crabs are getting along. 
Mark was from the previous book. He was like the leader of the cult when they were in Paris and he kind of blew up. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it said, but it basically said that he was wearing like a bomb strapped to his chest and he was the person that set off the the bomb in the middle of the plaza, which caused it to collapse, which is why they couldn't find Angel. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's who Mark was. We got a review on Apple Podcast, which is very exciting. Blink Army Girl, who said, Thank you so much. I love, love, love Maximum Ride. Reading and sometimes audio. Your voices are amazing, and I love the beginning and ending of the videos. I really love you and your videos and hope your dreams come true. I hate having to wait because I love you and love your show so much. That is so sweet. I almost started crying when I read that. That is incredibly lovely. And I appreciate you very, very much, Blink Army Girl. If I could post more, I absolutely would. <laughs> but it's, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm drowning just a little bit as it is, but it's fine. Uh, I'm very, very glad you appreciate the show. Uh, thank you so much for reviewing Blink Army Girl. All right, let's move on to the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the short story, The Jaunt, by Stephen King. So, I was re-watching an analysis video about Amesis Blue, the Team Fortress 2 kind of horror film that I recommended a couple months back. The video that I was watching mentioned that uh, the signature line from the movie was actually part of a quote from the short story by Stephen King. Teleportation has been invented and a father and his family are going to go do a jaunt, which is the teleportation. He's done it multiple times and this is going to be his family's first time. They're going to jaunt to Mars. And so everybody's a little bit nervous. So his kids start asking questions like, oh, like, like how did we invent this technology to like teleport and stuff? That's really cool. So a majority of the story is him telling a rather sanitized version of the story to his kids. It's a really interesting story. It was structured in a very strange way, but not in a bad way. It's a little bit hard to explain. Uh, the story is very short. Uh, I found a couple audiobook versions of it and they were each about an hour long-ish. So if you're even, like, vaguely interested in this, I would highly recommend it. It is Stephen King, so there is an element of horror to it. So if you don't like horror stuff, I don't think I'd recommend it to you. But if you do like horror, I would absolutely recommend this to you. Apparently, it's one of his more popular short stories. And it actually has a decent ending, unlike most Stephen King stories. <laughs> that is the short story, The Jaunt. I will leave a link to the audiobook that I listened to, and if I can find it, I will leave a link to a PDF or other ebook version where you can read the story for yourself if you want. Yeah, go check it out. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at maximumcrimepod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr at maximum-crime-pod. And if you want to leave a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, that's all I gotta say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. Fly on.